You are listening to the Photo Bomb podcast with the world's greatest photographers, Boo Ray and Gary. Welcome to the Photo Bomb podcast. My name is Boo Ray Perry, and joining me as always is Gary Hughes. Howdy ho. Is this where we're supposed? Isn't this where we're supposed to have the thing we talked about in the last issue? Which is where we? we Why aren't we supposed to have a thing where we say the podcast where two photographers? We should have put that together before we did our episode. Were we we supposed to do that here? Yeah. Okay. The the podcast where two professional photographers talk about photography and mostly other stuff that's not photography. See, that's just that's just no. We can't do that. All right, just go on. All right, we're just we're just continuing. We're just we're not going to have that. (laughs) Just just go. Okay, so I go to the doctor's office the other day, Gary. How'd it go? And it was fine. Did they check uh, your prostate? That's exactly what I want to talk about. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) I'm talking to the doctor. It's a nurse practitioner. I'm talking to her, and I said, um, how do you train to do the prostate exam when you're in medical school? And she said, we have paid volunteers who come in. They pay them 50 bucks, and then like five of us take turns examining his prostate. And I thought about that, and I said, you know, <laughs> if, that's if, your you're thing. Taking, if you're taking 50 bucks to have five guys stick their finger up your ass, maybe it's not about the money. <laughs> I was say, if that's your thing, dude, that could be... It's not about the money. Hey, guess what? Right. I got my butthole fingered right. by five guys today, right. and I got 50, I got 50 bucks. bucks. But here's the thing. Then I told her that, right? And she goes, she laughed, and she goes, well, I was actually... I'm a nurse practitioner. She goes, my class was all women. And so then I, it turned around for me, and I'm like, wait a minute. You're going to pay me 50 bucks to have five women? Oh, well, maybe that's a deal. That's a win-win. Um, <laughs> is this school nearby? I don't know. Okay. I'm just saying. Like, you know, <laughs> I, you know, how do you, how do you, you just find give him out the $50 that? back at the end? How of do it? you find out about that also? Is there an ad somewhere? Is there, is there a sign on the cork board that Craig's says list. 50 bucks? Want to make 50 bucks? <laughs> Come on by and bend over. <laughs> Need some cash? Got no shame? There you go. Five people, because it's five people who have never done it. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm checking for rings. I'm, I'm looking for arthritic knuckles. I like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm making sure there's nothing. That's a, such a horrible phrase. <laughs> I'm just saying, I want to make sure there's no giant cauliflower fingers coming at me. <laughs> if I, I mean, fifty bucks is not a lot of money. You got a dude with big fat trucker hands. I'm just saying. You go like, hey, right? buddy, one finger at a time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm sure. I'm just not sure. Fifty for a hundred bucks, maybe. Well, I you know I turn uh, I turn 34 this month. My birthday's coming up, okay. so I'm not yet at the age where I have to get that done. Right. Um. So I believe that starts in your 40s or at 40 even. They. I actually uh, I, every time I go, I ask about it, and they don't do it as much as they used to. <laughs> You're like, hey, it's, it's today. It's today. <laughs> That's the day? right. I ask about it expectantly. So when when do we get the prostate exam? When do we get the prostate exam? Guys, guys, guys. You know we didn't do a prostate exam last time. I feel like we should be getting the prostate exam. We should totally be getting it. Is it time for the prostate? Do you want me to bend over? (laughs) When do I bend over? So um, no, but I I actually don't get it. I actually don't get it um, because I ask about it, and there and now there's the criteria is you have to have other markers that they make that that make them think oh you you should be getting it, and I don't have any like what a great personality. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Wearing heels, colorful shoes, (laughs) colorful clothing. Yes, they have to see something else that makes them want to give you the prostate. A little sparkle in your eye, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I do not know what it is. You, buddy, today, you got the look. It's time. Take off your pants. I don't know. You come in, you're like, okay, so I'm here for my exam, and then on the table, you set down a giant jar of lube, and they're like, I think we're going to do the prostate on you. You seem you seem prepared, Mister Perry. Yeah. Well, you just go. You just wait. You know, as soon as the doctors, you just go, have no pants. Yes, on. Yes, bend in. over. I'm here for the exam. Yeah. Are there stirrups? 
<laughs> there was a comedian, I forget which comedian was, uh, who was talking about, maybe it was John Mulaney, great comedian. Right. He's talking about, um, he, you know, he bends over, he's got his hands on the table ready for a prostate exam. And the doctor says, like, no, no, on your elbows. Like, so, <laughs> like the psychological difference that's, between that's true. being on your hands and being on your elbows. No, for it's a true. Exam, it's you know? true. But the reason they want your elbows because if you're on your hands, you'll push off. Oh yeah, yeah. You you're better, like, whoa, whoa, you Nelly, <laughs> slow, slow down there, cowboy. For those members of society who are not not accustomed to having things. Up in that region. Oh, who is not accustomed to having things? I'm, I'm not going to lie. What members of society are this? I, I'm not going to lie. I don't think I'd even all, notice. I think, like, <laughs> like, hey, Doc, are you done yet? No. Or, uh, yeah, are you done yet? <laughs> oh, okay. He's like, hey, Doc, when are you going to start? I'm done. Oh, <laughs> I'm good. Like, all right. So good. have a nice day. Good to know. <laughs> I'll all right. Do you have anything you'd like to share about your week before we continue? <laughs> it could go in a totally other direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, a couple weeks ago, got the opportunity with a couple of photographer friends. We went up to see, you know, we had Susan Michael on right, the show right, right. about her new book coming out, Flowers in Transition, and we went up to her gallery opening in Jacksonville. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and it was uh, absolutely stunning. It must be quite extraordinary to walk into an art gallery and to see your work all over the wall. It, it really all large format. Yeah, it would have to be I, I, really a bucket list kind of a, 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 you know what? I actually am a good professional photographer, artist. You know, this is a, a validation. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even just that as it, much as it was. When you see, it's hard to, like, if you go to SusanMichaelFineArt.com, you can see some of the images and learn see about the book, but nothing does it the justice as seeing in person, in that format. Right. And I, and I sat and I looked at every single piece, and there must have been 60 different pieces hanging. And I sat and I, and I looked at every single one. And I'm telling you, it's a breathtaking exhibit. And I cannot wait. I'm totally, I'm buying the book, and I can't wait to get it. It's, it's just a phenomenal work. And, when she, and she'd been talking to me about it for the whole, pretty much the whole past year, about what she was working on. And it was, it was like, she's saying it's taken over her life, and she's so stressed out, and it's just this labor of love. And I'm sitting there thinking, while I'm talking to her on the phone, I was like, you're fucking taking pictures of flowers. How, <laughs> How hard, hard can, can it, it be? be? But then when I see it, right. as it is in that presentation, I was floored. I was completely humbled by everything she put into it. It was unbelievable, unbelievable. And uh, so, yeah, check that out, SusanMichaelFineArt.com. That's pretty freaking incredible. Wow. Yeah, it was a really... I mean, that's uh, quite the uh, endorsement. Right. Because it is uh, flowers. So back to the funny, I had something interesting happen to me this week. I was shooting a corporate job, and this is for like a, um, it's a, it's a company, it's a gas station company. Okay. And I'm not going to mention the client because they're a phenomenal client, but I am going to say some pretty horrible things about their people. <laughs> so I'm not. <laughs> so they basically, they're a, they're a big gas station, a big national chain, but it's more than a gas station. They're one of those places where you can go in and you, they'll, they have a, a deli, and they make fresh food, and blah blah blah. You can get everything. It's one of these. Guys I'm things. thinking I know who it is, but it's not because you've told me the name. No, it's. But it's, I have a name jumping to mind, but it's not. It's actually not anybody. Yeah, I don't that even know. Have. Yeah, I don't. I, when you told me the name of the company, I never heard of it. Exactly, it's not a company that we have really much of in Florida. But anyway, um, that's giving away too much. But where I'm at this, and 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 this is a really cool thing that they do. They fly in all their managers and uh, assistant managers, some from all their stores over the country, and they put on a big two day basically party for them. It's not a convention. They don't have to sit in classes. It's they fly them in like to Orlando or Miami or Vegas or wherever they go, and they just plan all these events for them, and it's all paid for. Like whatever they want to do, they rent it out. Universal Studios for part of it. I mean, if they spend 
I'm going to guess. Universal Studio. How many people are we talking about? Now, about a thousand. Okay. And I'm guess, and they rent. And I mean, I'm, I'm guessing they spent several million on this event. Right. And this is how cool. This is how cool it was. When they registered, they go down the line and you get your badge. You get your bag of swag and blah blah blah. The last station is. We scan your badge and give you a hundred dollar bill. Every person who attended got a hundred bucks cash. Like here's some spending money. Go have wow, a good time. Wow, that is cool. I've never seen that. It was an awesome event. the The people are fantastic. You know, everybody was having a great time. They're an awesome client. I had a blast shooting the job. They had okay. So you got a thousand people in the line, right? Each one getting a hundred dollar bill. So at the end of that line, there's a guy who is holding a hundred thousand dollars in cash. That's true. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. How do you even get that? I mean, you can't is, just walk down to the bank at the corner and go, yeah, can I get $100,000 again? I was actually watching because I got lots of pictures of the people getting handed the money. Right. And it's actually not um, – $100,000 is really not impressive. It's five five stacks of $100 bills, like the banded stacks. It's really an unimpressive-looking amount of money. It wouldn't fill a briefcase. Because a banded, a banded stack of hundreds is how many hundreds? A hundred. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I guess, no, it's like five. Yeah, you're right. It's yeah, not. It's not yeah. an impressive. Because it's a $100 bill. If you it was 20. Have seen a dodgeball yeah. where like, have you ever seen what $100,000 looks like? He opens a briefcase and it's just five stacks right, of five $100 stacks of bills. It's yeah. not really a lot. Yeah, it's not a lot. But um, that's they were just going above and beyond to have a great time. I mean, they could do golf. They set up like fishing excursions and golfing excursions and all the theme parks and all this. What it took just took them shopping to the outlets, whatever they wanted to do. That being said. In the same hotel, on the same week, was a huge national dance convention slash competition. Okay. And this is like ballroom dancing, not like cheerleading, you know, competitive. It's just not a lot like kids. It's adults, professional or semi-professional ballroom dancers of all different kinds. And so... I don't know if you get a like a if you've ever been to just a gathering of a bunch of gas station managers, but it's a <laughs> it's not all kinds of folks. It's there's not. a certain there's a certain type. There's a certain type. All right. Yeah. It's it's what not type, like a what type of person is a gas like station It's not like a wide manager. array of just all kinds of folks. It's it's let's break down the characteristics. Okay. Um. Usually, let's just say that they're not. Fit. Well, not fit. Not, not fit. fit. All right. Not, not fit. terribly fit. Let's talk about number of teeth. Number <laughs> that are, there. I won't go because okay. there are some terribly nice people. But let's say by and large, if you work at a gas station and these guys actually these guys and gals who are managers of these types of places make really good money. Like their base salary is like fifty to eighty thousand, depending on the area. Plus, they get ridiculous bonuses. Most of them are making more than a hundred thousand dollars a year. So this is a good job. Wow. But they're also putting in a ton of hours. Yes. And let's just say it's pretty obvious that most of them are largely living off of the food at the gas station. <laughs> okay? That's, uh, that's what I'll say about it. I mean, it's not a bunch of the really... hot dog he- on the rolling grill yeah, and the It's not a burrito. bunch of healthy yeah. people. These, okay. I mean, seriously, I've never been to a convention with so many people who were smokers. Nowadays, smoking has fallen right. largely out of fashion. Right. But every smoking perch and balcony around the whole hotel was just covered in just... Some very unhealthy looking people, and you're thinking like dead in five years, dead in eight years. Let me say something. Heart real quick. attack waiting to happen. Interject in your story and say this. You notice that the smokers, uh, the smokers tend to want to be friends. I, I think it's probably subconscious, but smokers want to be friends with other smokers. You have to because if you run out of cigarettes. Well, it's that, but also like if you go to a wedding where the bride and the groom smoke, the smoking area will be so much more full of smokers than if you went to a wedding where the bride and groom didn't. Smokers smoke. are typically the for the people that you're social with are also smokers. Also smokers. Yeah, because yeah, uh, you know I smoked uh, I smoked a pack a day for ten years. Wow. Yeah, and uh, now when I go out with my friends, we we meet at this bar by in my neighborhood, and we go there once a week, and we just have a couple beers, catch up, and there are several of half of the group is smokers and half of the group is not. And so the ones that are not smokers are sitting inside 
talking and drinking beer. And after usually about the first 30 or 40 minutes, the smokers are all outside right. and the non-smokers are inside. It just splits you up because right. non-smokers don't want to go home smelling like smoke. It's not worth it. You know, and, and smokers don't care because they can't smell it. One of the right. things about smoking is right. that you can't smell. Anyway, back to the story. I was the same way when I was on the pipe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah you the just, crack. You just can't you gotta, smell the crack. You got to hang out you know? with the other crack guys. Your nose becomes crack blind, there really. You, you just can't smell the crack on other people. All right, back to your story. Okay. So um, we're, we've got... Let me just re- recap. Are we still breaking down the characteristics? Of no, the, no. Of I the think everybody gets the point. Okay. I think you get the point. All right. uh, so you've got a bunch of professional dancers that are all like lithe oh, and lanky. They've got great bodies. And so you basically, and, you, and most of the men dancers are, Women these, have big butts. are these tall, slender, powerful right. shoulders, just look like a dancer's body, these, these young, really well-groomed men. Right. And then the women vary a little bit more in age than the men do, but they're all t- incredibly fit in ball gowns <clears throat> and in these beautiful, like, you know, sequined outfits and flowy right. everything, and everybody's hair is perfect. So intermingling throughout every hallway and everywhere, you've got these overweight, unhealthy, chain-smoking gas station managers, <laughs> and then you have, like, these lithe, sexy, beautiful, right. perfectly put-together dance people just walking around and intermingling throughout the whole hotel. There's not, like... It's like normal people didn't exist. It created a vacuum. There were there was two exact extreme <laughs> ends of the of the spectrum. Couldn't have been more different. Right. And I'm just sitting there thinking it's one of those moments where you ever see anything you go, I wonder if a single other person has noticed this in this moment. Right. But uh and I and all I could do is think about like I feel like I'm the only person that's in the middle. Like, I'm not the healthiest guy in no, the world. No, but you're not a gas station <laughs> manager. A, yeah, thank God. <laughs> Nor are you a professional Although, dancer. I tell you what, considering what they make, I wouldn't mind being yeah. this. But you pay for it with your life. Oh, yeah, you do. Because well, you know, heart way disease will get you. That's the way it is with retail, period. Not just gas station managers. Like, I had a friend of mine that worked for uh, Home Depot. And he was like, yeah, you become a manager at Home Depot. You're expected to work 60 hours a week. You're eating hot dogs outside every day. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you're going to, yeah, you know, manager, Home Depot manager, 60 hours a week. He was like, very matter of fact about it. Like, that's normal. And I'm like, dude, that's crazy. He's like, that's retail. Yep. You know, if you're going to go into the upper echelons of retail, you're going to work. Service in, industry as well. Very similar. Yes, working in, uh, in restaurants and whatever. But I'm, I'm just sitting there looking at it. It's just nobody noticed it. I felt Has very, anyone else noticed I this? felt special about myself because <laughs> I saw it, and maybe nobody else did, you know. But I had a great time. It was a great job. I love work like that, and uh, it, it solidified my career path for me because I'm def- I was thinking about getting a job at a gas station, but... Not I'm now? Getting, yeah. I don't know. I kind of, you know, I always like the guy behind the counter. Like, you go to a gas station, he's sitting behind the counter, it's late at night, you stop in to get something, and you think... You know, a late night for a late night job, sitting behind the counter, you have access to all the magazines, you can have anything you want to eat or drink. When I was like a teenager, I was like, that would be a bad job at all being you get a to late hang out night with all guy. the three AM people. Yeah, but I'm just saying most of the time you're just sitting there by yourself, you get to read, listen to the radio, eat, you know, slim gyms. Sit in a freezing cold gas station. Well, you know, if it was a nice one, do I'm the, just saying. Count cigarette boxes, whatever it is. So I used to ask them. I'd be like, So if you get hungry, you just go grab a Snickers bar? Because listen, food very important to me when I was in high school and college. The idea that I could work someplace where I got free Snickers bars would be the greatest career ever. You would kill yourself if you had a job where you just sat around doing nothing. You, you No, no, because I've had that job. I was a dish jockey. Yeah, but yeah, you know, but you're doing stuff. You're talking, you're creating content. If Most were, of the time I was reading. If yeah? Yes. I, I bring I would bring books and I would because especially if it's a late night jock, 
it, this is this is what your job is when, you, when you're a late night disc jockey. Like you were the overnight shift, you know, the midnight to six guy at a radio station. Yeah. Here's what it is. All right. Best hits, best variety coming up this hour. More music from Matchbox Twenty, and also we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the weather. And we're going to do. Some, I always say Matchbox Twenty. You going to ruin my thing here? Sorry. No, I got to start over. You're just. I, I do. I always say Matchbox Twenty because I just always say Matchbox Twenty. <laughs> it's just funny because everybody has to recognize within themselves that we all liked Matchbox Twenty go. at one time. Yeah. Best hits, best variety. Matchbox Twenty coming up in a few minutes. Also, new music from Dido. And right now, here's the Wallflowers. Yeah, Hit a couple buttons. Come on, then I reach over and I pick up a book and I sit there and I read it for three and a half minutes while the Wallflowers play. And then I reach up and I start the next song and I read for three and a half minutes while that song plays. And then I start something else. I play a little thing. I play what? something else and I read a little bit longer. And then finally, after like literally 12 or 13 minutes, I will speak again. And... I will say something that I say a million times, so there's no reason you to practice. You could probably do it while reading. Yes, I could, there's no reason to practice nothing. And so if you're an over, like an overnight guy at a radio station, you read like crazy. I mean, like I read the Rolling Stone Illustrated History of Rock and Roll cover to cover. I read, you know, you've got nothing else to do. I just can't imagine you having a job where you're not doing something all the time. You well, I really like-, like to read, though. I really, I really enjoyed reading. Yeah, if I if I could read doing it, I could do almost right. anything because I I could sit and I could read a book from cover to cover. Well, I used to get in trouble. I had more than one program director who would who would come in and see me reading, and they would be offended that for some reason that I was reading. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to be doing? The song is playing. There is nothing else for me to do. So you want me to polish the microphone? I'm just saying. <laughs> you know what? What do you want me to do while I wait to talk again? I don't have to spend a lot of time preparing to say Matchbox Twenty. It doesn't take a lot. Of time. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up on the hour, new music from. Let's talk about your book before we forget. Okay, before I forget, we we announced, uh, I announced last week that um, I've got a book coming out. Yes, this is Um, big. Title and everything are tentative, but the book is going to be on headshots. It's going to be 60 different headshot techniques, which is really cool. And actually, this is, it was a hard thing to write. I remember I'm working with uh, Amherst Media, who's publishing the book. And it's going to be available on Amazon and in fine retailers all over uh, the place, which will be really cool. I can't wait to go into like a Barnes and Noble for the first time and find my book. And I'm going to take a selfie with it, even if I have to take the book in with me, put it on the shelf and take stuff. That's fine. <laughs> but um, it's headshots are so specific sometimes that it's hard to say like here's sixty different ways to do it. In right. fact, most of the books. I haven't seen a lot of books on headshots. There are a couple out there, but most of them it's pretty much like this is the technique. And here's how I do the technique. But the way that the, if you've never read an Amherst and they've been publishing photography educational books for many years and they're just really the industry leader um, in this type of book. So their format is typically like you need about 60 or so images and they all need to be different. And so if you do children's portraiture, that's a lot easier to do. It's a much more broad category. If it's like pick 60 headshots that demonstrate 60 different techniques and that's what the book is about. But that'll be coming out. Um, at the beginning of next year, it'll go on pre-sale on Amazon here in the next couple of months. We're in the editing process right now, and I'm really, really, really excited and proud to have this coming out. It's going to be a really, really cool milestone for me, and hopefully it'll help a lot of people you know, take better pictures and stuff. The reason I want you to talk about it is because we have a question from a listener that specifically and particularly uh, about per- writing pertains, a book? No, pertains to headshots. Oh, cool. That's my area. So I thought this is a great thing you know, to lead in is to talk about your book because I'm excited about the book. I think it's a big deal. It's are you going to buy a copy? No, I'm going to ask you for one. I'm not going to give you yes, one. Yes, you are. Remember we talked last week about yeah, you people asking for free shit? You're absolutely going to give me a free book. I am not. I'll Don't sign it for like free. You're not give I'll me a sign free, it for free. free. You're going to give me a free book. I'm not giving you shit for free now. Yes, you are. No, because you assumed. Because I would give you the free book. It was going to be your birthday present, but now fuck you. Fuck you. Okay, all right, fine. Fine. 
We'll see how quick you are to pick up my guitar next time you come over to my house. That's all I'm saying. I'll play the ukulele. There you go. Play Damn the ukulele. You. All right, fine. All right, so uh, Mr. John Burridge from Toronto. Ooh, we do have a contingent of listeners yes, in our Canada. Neighbors, our neighbors to the north. Yes, uh, America's hat. He said, my question is about head cropping. Anytime I deliver proofs to a client where the top of the head is cropped off, they think I made a mistake. It seems photographers enjoy the close crop effect, but my clients are so damn literal. No one asked me what happened to their torso or their hands, but nobody but nobody gets behind not seeing the entirety of their head. Just wondering if you run into this problem yourself. Absolutely. It, you know, it, it's funny. It depends on the, um, the type of shots because we shoot a lot for actors' headshots and we shoot a lot for uh, business headshots. But I would say if you're doing mostly professional headshots, corporate stuff, business stuff, unless it's really specifically stylized in the client and you have decided on a particular look, if you're doing your basic business headshots, never, ever, ever cut the top of the head off. Right. Um, because you don't know what, uh, in fact, giving more room all the way around, in fact, what ends up being just sort of head and, head and neck almost, sometimes for me starts out as like below chest level to a couple right. of feet above the head. And you crop it in. And crop closer. it in. Because it's always good to have a little more room. Um, now, if I'm doing sometimes actors' headshots and stuff like that, and I know I know the delivery is going to be pretty much digital for online casting websites stuff, I'll get in real close. I never cut through the, um, the, the, the what's this called? The hair, forehead? The, the hairline. Okay. Never cut through the hairline. So you don't want to like cut right. into the middle of the forehead that right, close. Right. You've got to be sure you, you need to be able to see the hair. You need to see the hairline. Right. Okay. Um, and that's, and so the, you know, it's implied, but I will get in very close on actors headshots sometimes. But even then, a lot of times I always leave room. If you're shooting for actors, you have to know who you're shooting for, uh, in the, the casting agencies in your market, like what those casting directors are looking for, what the agencies are looking for. Cause every agent in my town that I have shot some of their clients, they like different stuff. So I will adjust how I shoot depending on the agent. Happens all the time. Okay. Um, but for business stuff, I will almost never cut off the head, the top of the head. I had this happen uh, not too long ago with somebody who wanted a headshot. But she, she wanted a headshot specifically for a magazine, for an event or something where her headshot was going to be on a page saying, you know, that this person had, um, had helped put the event together. And she showed me a previous one that had been done. And I did a wonderful, I did wonderful stuff with her. But when I came down to it, no, she wanted the one that was the, you know, Publix manager style headshot and i find it frustrating because because i feel that guys like you guys i mean we're trying to push people more into a realm of having more dynamic headshots i mean wouldn't you like to see the traditional headshot just kind of go away yes and no i mean that's the thing is because it's it's been around for like a hundred years right you know it's it's totally normal there's no reason to get rid of it in fact it, it can you can lose work if you don't do it right because a company will i mean i had this happen to me two weeks ago a company who has offices all over the united states and they use local photographers at each office they sent me one of their employees to shoot and they sent me this is a headshot that you have to match and i do that a lot i have to match what somebody's already got so are you going to go to the um you know, the Florida Bar Association, or you're going to go to like the, you know, the, the Michigan judiciary, whatever, or you're, and you're going to say, you know what? Um, I don't do that. So we're just going to have to reshoot everybody. (laughs) And you know, it's, it's not that way. And sometimes when we develop a working relationship with a client, they'll come to us and they'll go match this, match this. And after we've worked with them for a couple of years ago, we're, we're rebranding, we're going to redo everybody's headshots. And then you get to be part of the creative process. But I spent a lot of time matching, even to the point where I've had a client say, this is the background and the manufacturer that we got the background from. 
that the other photographer used and everybody has to do this now. Like I've even had to wow. do that. Yeah. I and mean, then you have to go get the background. Um, sometimes if you, depending on the background company, a lot of, they, they always have digital versions of the backgrounds okay. and whether or not they sell those, that goes company to company. But a lot of them will sell you a digital version of the background for less than it would cost to buy the actual background. And if the client is potential repeat business, it's worth spending the money. Oh, okay. I think though that it is frustrating because like I said, we, I would like that headshot to die. I'm happy to make a living off of it as, as, as you are too. But I think that for, for me anyway, you look at what, what, what people are doing now, what you're doing and so many other people are doing, and, and I'm doing it as well. You're doing it a hundred times more. Um, but the headshot has evolved now uh, to become a potential great portrait. You know, it's a headshot, but it can now become so portrait you know, with it's horizontal instead of vertical and it cuts off the, you know, and it's so much more. I mean, because when you first started doing it, when you were, when I, when I first met you years ago, you were really all about actors, or at least that was the perception. We still I got. shoot quite a few. Yeah. yeah. But that was mostly what you, now you do a lot of stuff that isn't actors. You do a lot of stuff where it's convention work, where it's just straight up headshot work and stuff all like that. All the time. And so I see that work, but I see what you did with the actors and the actors headshots have evolved. Uh, greatly because it used to be every actor's headshot looked the same and now you're seeing much more stylish stuff aren't you yeah it really depends on the market a lot of it i mean the bottom line is is that when it comes to style normal has to exist so that extraordinary can right. stand out but i guess it's just it's, it's like you know it's like the ring shot where you put the hands together on the flowers yeah there are trends for <laughs> it sure. still exists but you know we kind of wish that 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 it didn't that we could start doing more creative stuff like you do all the time i, I won't do that you want, no, I won't do it either. I won't do that show. Well, if they specifically say they want it, then I do it. But If it's like, we won't hire you unless you do it? No, if I'm, I'm there and they're yeah. like, oh, can you do this? And I'm like, okay. And I, By the way, I didn't tell you, I shot a wedding the other day for a professional photographer from, from the UK. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and so he was kind of posing them himself. How'd it go? Pretty traditional by comparison? Uh, there was some traditional stuff and some weirder stuff. And, and here's the thing is I, I kind of let him go with it. I was like, okay, and, you know, pose yourself however you want then, and, I, and I'll just shoot it. They're um, very famous for the pantsless wedding shots. Yes, and but um, I'm convinced that he's going to be unhappy. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Because I feel like I, I let him have too much control, and I just, I, I'm convinced now, I'm, I'm, I'm worried that he's going to be unhappy. I'm not too worried about it. It was a quickie wedding. It was a 30-minute wedding on the beach. Why would he be unhappy? Because, I don't know, because, because when I look at the images, they don't look like something I would shoot. So you're unhappy with him. Well, yeah. So you're boo-raying the pictures. Well, I'm just saying, they're, they're like, yeah, they're not, I don't feel like they're my images, so you don't feel comfortable putting something out there that's not your image. And you're projecting that negativity onto your client. Yeah. Yeah, he probably won't. He'll probably love him because it's exactly what he would have done. It's funny. I find that, you know... Uh, but I worry that it's not exactly England what England is such done. an interesting place for wedding photography specifically because you have people that are doing really cool and different stuff, and then the large majority of it is very traditional. Is it really? Yeah, I think. But you do. You also have some crazy, up over-the-top industry leaders. You got people that are like Jeff Askew and guys like that. Because you, you don't see a whole lot of that, in, I don't think, in the States anymore. Maybe I just don't know them, but you don't see a whole lot of really traditional style wedding photographers. You do, if you get up to the Northeast. Oh, big, do you really? Big time. The guys who are still... Big time. Every shot's the same. Because up in the Northeast and in the Midwest still you do, although you'll get like New York City, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, you do have a lot of great modern wedding photographers. Susan Stripling's up there, and you got Ryan Brenizer's up there. You got guys doing the best, some of the best wedding work in the world, but you have a lot of the small towns and stuff in different parts of those northeastern states where most people get married at like these wedding mills, you know, where they have like right. five banquet rooms, and they're doing five weddings every Saturday or ten weddings every Saturday, and 
people, the large majority of people, your average everyday wedding like that. And the photography in general is, it can be, depending on where you are, a lot more traditional. There's a lot of it up there. I think it would be interesting to work a wedding mill. Like with a really traditional wedding photographer? Yeah, or like the guys who like the guys who work at Disney and shoot Disney weddings where they're shooting the same venue, the same poses, it's rote. And they do it and they do it two or three times a day. Therefore the Disney wedding photography has in, in the last ten years has taken leaps and bounds right. as far as and I think part of it has to do with um, the different people that they get in there. And I know that Rick Farrow, who is um, you know, uh, a photographer who uh, here in Florida, who is the one of the guys who's one of the main shooters they have for Disney. Right. Who, and well, it's my understanding he practically originated the program. Um, well, I you know I can't speak to the specifics of that. All I know is that he's trained a lot of the people that shoot now, and it went from being very very you don't want to just use the Disney photographer to like wow they're doing some pretty great work. Right, yeah, right. It, it's it, we we. Oh, are, I'm not saying it's not good work. I'm just saying that that it would be. I mean, I kind of do it because I work on the same beaches all the time, I right. guess. But it would just be unique. I was going to say, that's your freaking life. Yeah, but the, but still, the beaches vary up a little bit. It's not the same as working in the same exact venue every single time. Like time for the 6 a.m. castle shoot. Yeah, and here we go. And, we're gonna do, and we do the same exact series of pictures because it's the same venue. You don't even have that variety. You just have a bunch of sand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you have even less I mean, variety. I do. It's funny. I do. I do have, once, once we get down to the water, I have, a, I have a series of shots I run through. Yep, that's it. Like, but then at the end, I stretch. Like to for for no. flexibility, like you do a little. I run yoga. through my series. I run through my series, like leading up to sunset. I run through a series, like okay, we're doing this. And I've got and now here comes the prop bag, and we're going to do this prop, this prop, this prop, this prop, and then we're going to do this and this. And you're going to walk away. Yeah, but you're selling after. And then once I yeah, and then once I do all that, now the sun's gotten down a little bit, and now it's okay. Now I can look at my sun and I can push to okay. There's a couple of shots I'm going to do, but maybe I'm going to do something different, or maybe I'm going to try something different. So there is a little bit of variety. I think we all do that. We yeah. all run through and you know our safe shots, and then we play around a little bit. At least that's what I. I think we should do that. Yeah, but if you're at a different venue every week, your safe shots sometimes can even be called out because you can be in a spot where I just can't really do what I normally do. I've got to, I've got to co- completely think on the fly. Speaking of thinking on the fly, let's take another question. All right. Our next question comes from Derek Waiters. Derek is in Lancaster, Texas, and he says... Hello, Derek. When in monitor calibration, when, or I think he means is, when is monitor calibration software necessary, or what are the myths about why I do not need my monitor calibrated? Um, no myth. You should totes do that. Absolutely. Yeah. You, need to, you need to calibrate. My first thing I did when I set up my computer in my new house was run my monitor calibration yeah. software. I, I, I got it. To, and I don't even use an expensive one. I use the, the Pantone Huey, which I don't even think they make anymore because it was like a $60 I use the Spider Express, which was the cheapest one they made. But you can still buy, you can buy them used on eBay or, or all day long for like a hundred bucks. You can get one that five years ago was a thousand bucks. For a hundred bucks, and because they've come out with so so many new ones since then, it's such a cheap thing to be able to have consistent color in your images. Well, the thing is with me, I did it because I uh, became a photographer and I had my computer and the whole nine yards, and then I sent out some pictures to my lab, and they came back and they didn't look like they looked on my screen. Yeah, that's a really good. Now the question becomes: Wait a minute, when you send your stuff off to the lab, there's always that box that says um, "Color Calibrate My Images." I can tell you how color, color correct my images. Yeah. Now, if you are having them color correct them for you, then it doesn't. Then is it so important to have your monitor balanced? I think for me, uh, depending on the lab, some of them charge extra for the color correction, right? And some of them don't. But here's the thing: you may have a color deficiency that you don't know about. Because the truth is that I have I've gotten really accurate with color because I know my deficiency. I see red more than maybe I should. 
So everything looks really red to me. Ah. And so if I and so I um, color calibrate stuff. And when I do that, it tends to look overly cool because I'm taking so much red out because it doesn't look right to my eye. And so once I started using um, doing a, a custom white balance when I shoot everything that I shoot instead of trusting the auto white balance on the camera, which, right. which could be inaccurate, color calibrating my monitor and doing test prints with my lab. Um, and also I use multiple monitors. I use a calibrated monitor that I edit on and then I have a monitor set up on my computer that's just out of the box without any adjustment whatsoever. So when I'm going to put something online, I drag the file over to that other monitor and I look at it because this is what your average person's going to see. Ah. And so that, and then I can. I mean, you're really going the extra mile there. Because I make images for a living. I can't tell you how many other photographers I've, websites I've been to where I go, boy, they can't see color or they, their images look like butt, you know, because they don't do it. Your portfolio going online, how it looks online to what the average person is going to see. I mean, look at it on an iPhone, look at it on an Android, just see what, like, your. Most people will see it on a mobile device. More than half people visit my website and Facebook and all that stuff on a mobile device. So that's a really easy metric that you've already got in your pocket that you can look at an image and make sure that it looks good. But you could be completely color deficient in a way that you don't understand. And if you learn to trust, get good equipment and learn to trust it, your images are going to look good like they're supposed to. And that's, to me, the biggest thing. There's no myth behind it. It's just funny because I've never thought about that. I always just thought about, you know, because you want to work with the lab, you want the print to, but I never thought about what if your eyes are just screwed up. Yeah, you don't even know. I mean, I think that I've heard statistics as, um, as shocking as like one in three men specifically, because men tend towards color deficiency more than women do. I don't know. That's, that's just something that I've read somewhere. Um, but one in three men are color deficient somehow. I would recommend one that um, you can, there are plenty of places you can do this online. It's called a color acuity test. So go online and what it does is it'll give you like 20 blocks and the block all the way to the left is, is a certain red and the block all the way to the right is like magenta and every block in between is one shade different and you have to put them in order as far as your eye can okay. see. And so it, you'll, it'll have you do that with several different colors to, and then it'll tell you your color acuity. Like, and then you, sometimes you're shocked. You go, holy crap, I don't see the difference between blue and green. Wow. <laughs> and stuff like that, yeah. That's like the old, that's like the old you know, once you've uh, gotten good and stoned, you have the conversation of, what if the red I see is not the red you see? Because that's exactly <laughs> the truth. Because your eye is going to interpret things differently. than right. It's your brain that is going to interpret things in a different way. So you have to, I, absolutely, I recommend color count. Buy a cheap used one, buy an old one, whatever. But anything is better than not doing it. Yeah, and sure. once you get it, you don't have to, it's not like you have to replace it every year. No, I've, buy, had, yeah. I've had my same $60 Pantone Huey for like six years. Yeah, I've had mine for at least six years. Yeah, and it, and it works great. And the difference between what I was getting back from my lab prints and albums and stuff uh, was night and day from when I color calibrated because once you're calibrated to the colors, like there are companies like Pantone out there who decide what colors are what. They have numbers and math and shit right. to like, you know, so like right. trust them and make sure you take a color acuity test. You could do it online, find out where you're at and then use a calibration system. And I also recommend custom white balancing when you shoot, because if you're completely colorblind, you could still be a great photographer. If you're using a white balance when you shoot a color calibrated monitor and a lab that, you know, you're calibrated with, then you're going to get great results and you, you could be completely colorblind and still get great color and great results. I worry about my eyes. I worry about, you know, well, how's my vision? How's my color acuity? How's all these things oh, yours, going? Oh, yours are terrible. Yeah, well, no, I actually had my eyes done yesterday. I went and got my eyes checked because I was starting to worry about it. I'm like, it seems to me my far vision 
is just a little, I should read that sign a little sooner and it should be a little bit crisper. And uh, I had uh, LASIK surgery about 12 years ago and I'm like, it's about time. And, and I had worn glasses for years. So I'm like, let me go. But before I went, I would ask Bobby or I would ask the kids. I'm like, okay, can you read that sign? And they go, no. Okay. I can't read it either, but okay. I'm, I'm convinced that, <laughs> that my eyes are not good, even though it seems like every time I ask somebody, they can't read anything that I can't read either. But I'm going to go get him checked, and, and that's $65 I'll never get back because my eyes are fine. I went yeah. in, the guy checked my eyes. He said, your eyes are great. Your eyes are fine. Yep, yep. So, okay. Sounds like you've got some personal issues. Well, I was just worried. You know, I was like, mm, it just seems like, you know, that should be a little bit more. But no, my eyes are fine. You're fine. Yeah. yeah you're so $65 gone. But, yeah. you know, it makes me feel good. At least my eyes are still good. Yeah, well, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Eh, they're okay. Yeah. Eyes are great. Let's take another question. Uh, how much time have we got? We have stuff to talk about, too. We got plenty of time. Okay. Uh, next question. Uh, we did that one. Uh, <clears throat> Sean True from Durham, North Carolina says... What's up, Sean? My question is, what is the one attribute or skill, networking, uh, off-camera flash, SEO, sales, customer service, follow-up, consistency, etc.? That's a a big skill. Mm. What is the one attribute or skill that most professional photographers are not doing, don't have, don't understand, and if they did, it would lead to better images and more clients? I I feel like this is two questions... That it may be too much because there's all, the marketing and business side. That's a whole thing, and then the, the shooting side is another thing. I can unilaterally say this: the one thing that photographers, as a whole, don't do well is business. Yes, it's photographers. But paid, that's a broad topic. What specifically? If if photographers paid more attention to their cost of sale, yes, managerial accounting and pricing correctly, and creating a budget for their business. Um, I think that more photographers would be so much more successful. Every year, Julie and I, we sit down and we literally write a budget for our business. And it's it's all theoretical, as in writing any budget for any company is, you base it on a little bit on last year's numbers and a little bit on what you hope to do in the following year. But here's a good example. If you have a photography business with two people, a two-person photography business, maybe you and your spouse or you and a friend or whatever, you and a sibling, um, According to the PPA benchmark survey, which is which is going to do you right because they put a lot of money and effort into getting this information for photographers. And if you're a PPA member, that is, information is available on PPA.com. Um, they basically will tell you that you need to be billing out somewhere around $150,000 gross for two people to be making a living off a photography business. What's the number? I forget. What's the, for, for an at-home business, if what, you're, yeah, it's a what, what do they say on average your cost is? I think if you're a, a, an at – the numbers are all on here, so don't quote me, right. but – um, the numbers are all on there, but if you're like a single person studio working from home, in order to make a living, you really need to be billing out about eighty thousand dollars a year, and that your cost, which includes your whatever you attribute to all your bills, your equipment, everything else, you should be keeping about thirty five percent of that. I think sometimes I have that backwards. So, but but so it is. You're looking at a sixty five percent cost. It dep- it's it's cost uh, marketing inflate the cost is it so basically what, what what they're saying is the average photographer the average photographer who makes a living at photography mm-hmm. if he bills out gross a hundred thousand dollars a year he's taking home thirty five yeah that's true well okay. it's it's there's two things there's your salary and then there's o- profit and owner benefit those okay. are all three different things and so and they're all kind of tied in together but what you make as a business owner you get a salary or you should get a salary you get whatever profits the business makes. And then you also get uh, any owner benefit. Does the company pay for your car? Does the company pay for your health, subsidize your health insurance? Is it, you know what I mean? Okay, but my bottom, my bottom line still see. I'm still trying to figure out what that number is, though. But if you bill out hundred thousand dollars a year, how much money your 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 salary, 
your, uh, you know, it should your, be around your, forty thousand. Around forty is what you should probably be seeing through all sources. That should by be the end. that should be your salary, really, because that right. is one person making forty thousand dollars a year is going to keep you well above the poverty line. Because I, but, but I mean, that's what you want to make. But my my point, minimum. My point is, is that what the what the standard typically is? Do most photographers spend sixty percent of the money they take in? Does that money go back out the door? I'm thinking that most photographers don't even ever look at the numbers. I know they don't, but I'm just curious what that number is. Because one of the things with clients and stuff that people don't understand, especially with weddings, is why is it so expensive? And you have, and, and, and I don't ever have to explain this to them, but if I did, if, you know, it's not expensive. If you give a photographer $100 for something, he's only keeping 35 Here's one of the big things that people don't account for, and you're absolutely right. But if you are in business and you're doing business correctly, and you're licensed, insured, paying all your taxes and all that stuff, 30% minimum of everything that comes in is going to go to taxes of some kind. It's going right. to go to sales tax. It's going to go to unemployment tax. It's going to go to your federal income tax. It's going to go to your state income tax. 30% at minimum of everything that comes in is gone right off the bat. So if you charge $100 for something, immediately 70 is only, only 70 of that is going into right. your business slash to you. And then there's your business cost, which is going to take half of that. Which is going to take another half of that. So you probably... It, with it, you, you probably get to keep $35 out of every 100 and that's if you're doing everything exactly right. Well, you're absolutely right that when you talk about photographers and what they don't do, that the number one thing that you see from every photographer that we see, that photographers who come to our seminars and photographers that we meet, new photographers and stuff like that, is that they don't look at the business side seriously, which is why they come at you and they say, oh, well, I'm doing $50 sessions with a disc, and you're like, you're, you're, you're going to be out of business in a year. Absolutely. But however... You'll be booked like crazy, but you'll hate your life and you'll close down. And then you'll close down and then the, the clients will go look for the next guy that's doing absolutely. that. Absolutely. But here's the thing. That's not the question he asked. Because the question he asked is, it would lead to better images and more clients. Doing business correctly will lead to you making more money and having a career at it. But it won't get you more clients and it won't get you better images. So let's talk about more clients, better images. The one thing. See, I think those are two completely different paths. That's what I'm saying. I think those are completely unrelated. More clients and better images. Better images is education practice. Well, better images will get you more clients, but it's uh, in, many, in many ways it's such a small part. I mean, well, it certainly it certainly helps. It doesn't you hurt. You can be way mediocre and make a great living. Yes, but it's much easier to make a good living if you happen to also have great images. I don't agree. Really, you don't think it's easier at all if you, to be a, a successful wedding photographer? I think there are too many other having factors great to wedding images that, doesn't help a bit. It's too many other factors to make that statement. Absolutely not. No, because I think that it depends on who you're marketing to and your business model. If you're a boutique business. With, that's high dollar, that's, I think, yes, the quality is massively important. However, I think that you can make a great living if you want to be, let's say, if you're a wedding photographer, if you want to be the wedding photographer that takes all the stuff on the bottom end and you take the $1,000 sure. weddings, you'll be booked every weekend. Oh, it can be done. I'm for not saying clients, it can be done, but I'm saying it does, certainly doesn't hurt to no, have better images. But for the clients whose main consideration is cost and not quality. Right. Like those are all the same people who buy the knockoff cereal at Walmart rather than the name brand cereal and such and so on is because they're the, the main concession and most people who buy anything cost is their main concern, main concern. That's your average 75 or more percent of America. Okay. So let's talk about, we, we talked about photographers all make the mistake of not running their business like a business, not right. doing the numbers, not really treating it like Forgetting a business. Forgetting that yeah. it's an actual business. Okay. Yeah. But let's talk about marketing. Let's talk about getting more clients. What would you say is the one thing? That uh, that if you had to instantly you see a lot of that you're like as far as getting more clients the one mistake people make or the thing they're not doing that they should be doing consistency I think that people they go they put into a marketing effort and they don't stick with it like if they'll they'll send out an email blast and if they don't get anything back 
they'll just give up on it or they'll give up on a promotion or they'll give up on an idea because photography, especially if you're a portrait photographer or to, I mean, it's a slow growth curve business. It really, really is. It takes time to build up a client base. Most of you are not going to be massively successful coming out of the gate with just clients pouring in. That's just not how it goes. Most of the time you have to build it and build it. It snowballs until like you can get to the point in your business after being working in it for a few years where you're not having to chase as hard to get new clients because you've got people referring you, word of mouth, and all that stuff. I mean, it's 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 depending on the business, depending on your business model. But to me, it's it's con- uh, concerted marketing efforts. Plan your marketing and be consistent with it. One blog post and one contest right. isn't going to get you enough money to run your business for a year. One idea, one email blast, one thing is not. You have to just keep hitting it again and again and again. For me, the thing that I see the most when it comes to wedding photographers that I think, oh, well, here we go. Every time, you know, I, I don't spend much time looking at other wedding photographers that much anymore. But when I did, um, when, or someone would come to me for advice, you know, I'm not getting clients or whatever, the number one thing that I almost always would see right away is poor website. Uh, in, t- in the modern day and age, I think as a wedding photographer, if you're, you know, that's a good one. There's so much stuff that is important to it. But listen, right off the bat, your website needs to look good. Your shit look busted. It, it yeah, it, it looks, it looks, needs to look professional. The images need to be good, crisp, for the love of God, they need to be in focus. Please. It, all it takes is one bad image on your website to sync you with a client. I have clients who come in every day who or talk to me. It doesn't work on a mobile device. I have, yeah, it doesn't work on a mobile device, or you never blog, and so you don't get any SEO. And I get clients all the time who will come in. They, I get clients who come to me specifically because they found my website. They looked at my website. They liked what I wrote on it. They liked what I said on it. They liked my images. Everything came together for them, and so they want to meet me. And then when they come meet me, they will mention other photographers, and they'll go, we went to so many websites where there'd be like two or three good pictures, but then there'd be like bad pictures. Yeah. And you could see, like it was like you just gave them a piece of shit to eat. <laughs> the, the, they, the minute they come across a bad picture, they're like, ooh, because they, they think, that could be my wedding. I find that the, it's approached in, in, in two ways. Most photographers, they put up a website and they feel like they've checked it off. Yes. You know? yep, done. Like they check no. out the website. But you cannot put too much time and effort into your website, no. into your SEO, into driving traffic to that website. You, especially depending on your type of business, if you're, if you're a high-end you know, portrait photographer and you're making three or $4,000 on a portrait session, you still need a website, but you're not going to get random people finding you on Google and coming into spending that money. Cause that's not how those people find their photographers for the most part, at least not in my area. Now that being said, um, you cannot put too much into your SEO, into your website. You can't, you no. just, you literally cannot because it, it, it is going to be the, it's your portfolio, it's your business card, it's how you interact with your clients, and there's so much that you can do with it. And I see photographers, they put up a website, uh, in, and f- in large part, it's people who were in the industry pre-internet era. Right. And you see them put up a website like, hey, I got a website. Yeah, there you go. Go to dot .biz or whatever. What if when we saw it's like dot .juno or whatever yeah. it is like. You know, it's like make and, and having email address like photoguy43 at yahoo.com. No. Like that's not a business email address. No, buy like, a domain name. For the love of God, buy a domain name. Yeah. And yeah, it's it, ten dollars a year. Yeah, blogspot dot whatever, or it's like my photography website dot blogspot dot com. Yeah. It's like tighten up, spend a hundred bucks a year, and then you know, get a get somebody who knows what they're doing to make you a nice website and then take care of it. Make sure that it is pristine, make sure that it looks great, make sure it's easy to use, make sure it's easy to find. And put you cannot put too much effort. I can't even express to you, and you know this. You put a lot of effort into your website, into your SEO, 
and we've talked about it before with reviews and blogging and all that stuff. It, yeah, so many photographers just treat it as like a thing that they have to check off right. their list. No, it is not. It, it is it is the lifeblood of your company for many people. Especially to me, if you're a company that you are varied in a lot of th- different things. And right. again, the more like if you're a, a high end wedding photographer, it's important to have a great website so people can check you out. And but at the same time, a large majority of your business is going to come by referral from planners and venues. But still, they're going to touch your website sure. and check you out before they buy, before they give before you money. They, before, yeah, well, they, the planner and vendor, vendor can recommend that you all day long, but they're going to pull up their phone in the parking lot and, and, look, and look at your website. And you know it, what's goofy, though? We're sitting here in 2015, almost 2016, talking about how photographers aren't paying attention to their website. I know. It's like, it's been around since the 90s, you know? like right. it's, it's not going away. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's still there. Okay, yeah. uh, so the other question was better images. What's the one thing that you think that you see the most that photographers are not doing to get better images? Uh, well, see, I see. I, I would say that practice, but I do see a lot of photographers that shoot a lot that don't get any better. Because I know what I'm going to say. You want me? I'll say what I'm going to say so you can think about. Go it. Go for it. Okay, uh, because I was thinking about this. I was like, well, you know, off camera light, I think is so important. But, but but I would say the and I thought, well, off camera light, you know, off camera light is so important. But then I thought, I know some natural light photographers who are making a good living and they do incredible pictures. So that's not the. And then I thought, no, the thing I see the most is bad composition, straight up bad composition. I see bad composition more than anything else. I see people who are working on their off-camera light and they're getting it down, but they're still not putting the person in the correct place in the frame. I see people who are working on getting down their natural light and they're working on their posing and they're working on getting great uh, reactions out of, the, out of the couple and then they put them in the frame in a, in a bad place and there's too much dead space and, there's too much, and they've got this great pose and this great couple, but they don't see... W- they don't see where the picture is. This is what I say a lot of times to Bobby. I'll pull a picture from my phone. And I'll go, look, that's not the picture. Here's the picture. And I'll make a you know, I'll start cropping it with my finger. I'm like, here's the picture right here. What is all this crap? I, I would agree to an extent, but I think that it even goes deeper. I think the key to, to better images is understanding the history of the visual arts. I think people go in and they like taking pictures and they enjoy it. And then they just jump in. They don't know how to use their camera. You know, they don't know what the settings right. or buttons do. They don't know about lens perspective or depth of field or how your f-stop affects your image versus your shutter speed. Is people jump in because the cameras are so easy to just jump in and start using, set them on auto or program and just go. Whereas people don't understand, hey, why is that lighting good? Well, let me take you back to John Singer Sargent or Rembrandt or, you know, this is these are the people that created visual art, to created portraiture, created this type of stuff like this is why we do it this way. And you can break off and start new things. But you ha- if you don't have an understanding of basic composition, of lighting, of, and also how your equipment works. Because uh, you know, the, the difference is, to me, there's no difference between natural, natural light, off-camera flash, or any of that stuff. It's lighting. It's lighting, right. lighting, lighting. Well, here's the thing, lighting. though. Here's the thing about composition that I find interesting, is that you are not your client. Okay, so if you look at a picture and you go, oh, I love that picture. And if I look at it and go, the composition's wrong. And you, your first instinct is going to be, yes, but you're a professional photographer and you're looking at it like it's a competition image and blah, 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 blah. I think it's great and my clients will think it great. it's great. And then I say, great. And who are your clients? Well, this part, blah, blah, and how much are they willing to pay you? Because here's what I find interesting is that if you are putting out images with bad composition, but you love them, the people who love them on Facebook and stuff, they are never high dollar clients. It seems to me that the people who are more discerning are people who, rather by design or just because they pay more attention to art, I don't know what it is, but they are the people who know a good photograph when they see it and as a result are willing to pay more for that 
good photograph because you see the people you see the people who go this is great and my friends love this and I can sell this you can sell that for a $15 print you can sell that for a $50 session but you are not going to get the $1000 client for a family portrait with that because the hands are wrong the heads are aligned your 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 uh, crop is wrong the bloom 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 if you corrected all of those things that picture would each each little thing once you've corrected five or six of them, elevates the entire print up to a higher level, which means you can make more money because you can sell it to a better class of client. Well, and that's what I mean when I talk about composition, is that they don't see all the little elements that when you fix five or six or seven of them, suddenly it goes up. And you know what I'm talking about, because you see photographers who are incredible at what they do, and you'll see one of their portraits, just a plain, here's a portrait of a family on the beach. And when you look at it, you're like... Everything, everything's right. Everything in that works. Everything in, in there works. Everything's right. There's no two heads there on the, on the wrong plane. There's, there's, they're staggered right. There's that lighting, you know, color boom. harmony, composition. And then you find out that that's a client that he did that for, and that client spent $3,000 on the session. Exactly. And, 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 and that client, if they looked at that image and then looked at another image, probably could not tell you what the difference was between the two images, but yet they know it when they see it right. and they're willing to pay for it. So I, I don't think that I've ever been into, and we have some clients and friends who are, uh, let's say, people of means, you're never going to go into somebody's house like that and see shitty photography on the no, walls. No, you and, don't. You know, you're just not. No. Because they're going to go, whether it be, this is the person who all these people use, and this is the best, or I put art on my walls, you're just not going to see And it. it begs the question as to why is it that the people who have more money, or it seems, or the people who are more educated, how is it that they, what is it about their 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 history that has led them to recognize that when they see it, because a lot of people straight up have to be, t- I had to be taught. I know that when I first started, I absolutely can go back and look at images I thought were great. And now I'm like, oh my God, no, the crop's wrong. This is wrong. That's wrong. And I couldn't see it then. I had to learn it. And yet there are people who absolutely, they just see it. They, that's wrong. My wife is a perfect example. She can look at a picture and tell you what's wrong with it. She's never trained at anything, but she knows, oh, the hands are wrong and the thing is wrong and that's wrong. Well, here's my final word on the two-part question. All right. One, if you want to be better at at make more money, have more clients, and be better at business, go to your local community college and do a pass-fail. You don't have to enroll as a student. Do a pass-fail or an audit of a business class, of a marketing, advertising, PR class. You can do this. They're like, hey, local community college, you pay like two, three hundred bucks to do a class for a semester. Spend a couple nights a week learning about business, about marketing, about advertising, public relations, design, anything that'll help you become a better business. If you want to become a better photographer, make better images, in my opinion, start at the start, as they say, and spend some time in investigating other visual media. Go to um, see some art house films. Go to a gallery. Look at some paintings. Go to the library. God, For God's sake, they exist still. Go to a library. Get a couple of books on the old masters and just look at this stuff and say, and, and let that... Let that inform your work. Let that I would inform say also, what you do. I would, I would say also, that's true, but I would, I, I would also say trying to just absorb it is one thing, but there are rules. And if you learn the rules, it makes it so, if you just, for the love of God, if you just learn the rule of thirds, you'd be amazed at how it affects your photography. Right. Or the rule of fifths or the rule of I eights. mean, just, I mean, I had a, a friend of mine who came to one of my classes and she's just starting out and I did a whole thing on the rule of thirds. And if you're shooting a, a person, basically a headshot in horizontal where you want to move them to one side and you want to move them to this side and have them looking in and here's why. And she just put a picture of her daughter from Halloween on Facebook. Uh, and I'm scrolling through the, and I came to that picture and I was like, 
oh, hey, I stopped. I'm like, hey, that's a good picture. And then I realized it's a good picture because she's got her in the right place in the frame. She's got her looking in. She's on the rule of thirds. And I'm like, oh, I taught her that. Bottom line is you can't get too educated. And the no. access to photography education is so easy nowadays. Oh, yeah. YouTube, Creative Live, PhotoVision, PPA, WPPI. There's more, and you know, there's the F-stoppers and there's Petapixel. The access to photography information is almost infinite nowadays. So get educated. Yes, get, get educated. Get involved. And uh, anyway, we are we are now officially out of time. Thank you, everybody, who's sending questions. We've got more. We'll cover more as time goes on. And we do appreciate you taking the time to uh, uh, to write into us. We really dig that, man. You can find us online at photobombpodcast.com. You can find Gary at hughesforyourready.com. Well said. You can find me at burayperry.com. You can find me at Imaging USA. Which is coming up this January 18th, 19th, and 20th in That's Hotlanta. Right. That's right. I'll be teaching a class at Imaging USA on lighting for weddings. And you can find us both in South Carolina. February 20th. We will be teaching classes on headshots and weddings, respectively, and doing the very first... Photobomb Live. Yeah, Photobomb Live. We'll be recording live at the convention, so we're very excited about that. It's very, very exciting. It's going to be awesome. Very exciting. Very exciting. Super uh, all so right. excited. All right. We'll see you back here again next week. See you later. Mm-hmm.